He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. What's up, Slick Talkers? In this episode, you are going to hear from Ben Wolf, the founder and creator of Onera, a unique stay brand based out in Texas. And man, does he have a story to tell. But without giving away the farm, as I like to say, it's a new phrase I've learned. We're not going to share all of that and the backstory because in this episode, we're covering what it looks like to have a REIT and an operation company together, what that model looks like, how he got into the space, what his future outlook looks like, and of course, how can you learn from their approach on being a media first business. So check out this episode with Ben Wolf, founder of Onera on Slick Talk. You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, let's begin. All right, Mr. Unique Stays himself, Ben Wolf, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today, my friend? Doing great. Uh, appreciate you for having me on, Will, and uh, looking forward to a great chat. I am as well. And to give some backstory, probably already doing this in the post edit where I'm introducing you, but I, I think, you know, I've heard of Ben Wolf, Onera, the Unique Stays guy, quite a bit through the last year, especially during the tail end of 2023. So before we get to all the things that you've done and are doing, I want to kind of take it back to your your roots. So I know that you started a property management company, got from basically zero properties to 200. COVID happened, kind of a crazy chaotic time for anyone in that space, especially since you were an urban operator. Tell us kind of where was the initial seed getting into hospitality and of course our sector of you know, short-term rentals. Yeah. So look, I think I've always enjoyed hosting from, from, you know, parties in high school and college. I mean, I actually ran a events and promotions company in college, and then I had a lifestyle and events company in New York city that expanded to LA and Miami in my early twenties. So I think I've always been interested and enjoyed helping give people an experience, right? Show them a good time, and have them, you know, leaving with memories. I think that's that's always been something that, that's been important to me. Um, and I've always had this affinity for real estate and architecture, which has, you know, led to short-term rentals and even more so led me to finding my passion, which is building landscape hotels, building these super unique bespoke properties. But yeah, sort of getting into the short-term rental world, I kind of fell into it. I had, I think, as I mentioned, this lifestyle and events company. We also had a co-living community. For young people in the entertainment industry, you know, getting a start. Um, my partner was a childhood actor. And, and so we were doing these big lofts that were essentially, you know, you're with eight roommates, but it made it affordable. And it was an immediate community kind of coming in. When Airbnb started taking off, I had a buddy who had started an Airbnb management company, my, my now partner, actually, Jesse. And he, you know, convinced me to try to put one of our loft apartments on Airbnb. And we were making you know, three to four times the revenue after his company's management fee. 
so that was kind of my my initial taste of of short term rentals and Airbnb, and you know it, it was a side hustle to begin with. We had this little portfolio. I still had a software sales job, but sooner or later I was making more money with the STR portfolio, and I had friends of mine asking me to manage their properties as well, and that's what led me to uh, to quit my nine to five and and build the thing full time, growing to a couple hundred properties, as you said, and then I, I had this itch for you know, doing something more outdoor focused, experiential, but the money was pretty good and easy in urban STR. So it really took COVID that kick in the pants and, and sort of, you know, uh, really putting the clamps on that business for a while that, that pushed me to, to build Onera. No, I love that. And you and I have such a unique background, I think pretty similar to each other. I was very interested in like, I had buddies that were in abandoned high school. So I became their band manager and booked them gigs. And Love the experience behind like getting the waters in the green room and like doing all the, you know, the, whatever the little things were. And so growing up, I never heard the word entrepreneur, founder, startups. I never heard that life in that world uh, until I was late. Oh, not late, but early 20s. I was thinking 21, 22. And you sound like you had a similar kind of experience growing up. You always wanted people to be, you know, feeling special and taken care of. And like you had that that moment of, I guess, like, I guess, built in moment making. I want to know, did you ever think you would turn that into a career? Because you mentioned like finding your passion, not just here on this episode, but on many episodes, like with Zach Boozy Cruz was behind the stays and a hospitality mentor and other shows I listened to before getting into this recording. So just curious, did you ever see that kind of unfolding, you know, later in life? Yeah, so it's interesting. I I probably had a, a slightly different story in that I was interested in being an entrepreneur pretty early, but I didn't know what. I didn't know my what was going to be. I wasn't a coder. I, I did this whole thing when I was in college at NYU. The the NYC tech scene was taking off, and I was trying to see like, can I be more of a business non coder in tech? And it didn't really work out. Most of the most successful people in that world, you know, are, are coders or at least were at one point, but. I also didn't think like, ironically, that I was all that creative. I was like, I'm an executor, I'm an operator, I can get stuff done, but I'm not going to come up with something that's like super innovative out of the box, or at least that was kind of a limiting belief that I had. And then I also had a concern around, am I really passionate about this idea that I'm trying or, you know, and then I sort of gave all that up and I just started trying stuff, right? I I started this lifestyle and events company. I started a, a mobile app you know, social networking platform that totally fell on its face in college, you know, bootstrapped, linked up with a couple of developers. Mark Zuckerberg over here. Yeah. You know, well, but it, it was around that time that I was going to college, right. That these guys yeah. were blowing up and I was, you know, I was, there was a bit of uh, you know, they were the heroes. Right. And, and I, you know, I was like, oh, that would be amazing to do that. And I felt like I could start and build something. And so I just started trying things and, and, you know, the, the tech play didn't really work. The lifestyle events company was okay, but it was, it was more of a lifestyle business. It wasn't a, a, a you know, going to be a massive long-term uh, success story there. And from there, I, you know, I sort of fell into this, as I said, short-term rental Airbnb game. And it was early on, the money was great. You know, we were sort of relatively early to the space and I'd always been interested in real estate and finding properties, building a team, you know, offshoring operations to have a, a lean cost operating model. Like all these things were in my wheelhouse. I'd worked at McKinsey for a little bit, learned about offshoring there, you know, learned, learned a bit about management and staffing. 
So these were things that I could do and that I had an affinity for, but it still wasn't, you know, it didn't feel like my thing for the long haul. These like commodity short-term rental properties that, you know, were just kind of early, supply was minimal, demand was super high, but it wasn't, it wasn't something I was super passionate about, but the money was good. I was learning about the industry. And, and then when, when COVID hit, it really pushed me to do this thing that was kind of gnawing at me and that I have come to find out like really is, is the passion. And I, I have a, a purpose around it. And I really want to innovate hospitality for guys like us, for, for the modern traveler who, who wants to, you know, pay for an experience, who, who wants to stay in a one of a kind unit as opposed to the same box, whether they're in Texas or, or Bali. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I, I want something unique and bespoke and different, and I'm willing to pay for it. And I don't have to be, you know, a centimillionaire to spend, you know, a couple thousand bucks a night on a one of a kind experience. And I think you're seeing more of that with people of our generation. They're willing to spend a lot more per their like income or net worth because experiences are so important. All right. Slick talkers. Sorry to interrupt this episode. But again, you know, we have to shout out our partners on the podcast. And as Ben's going into his story and building out a unique stay brand, I want to tell you about our partners who have built out a unique platform for operators just like you and me. So if you haven't heard, Hostfully is a ultimate in-class top shelf property management platform. They allow you as an operator to connect your properties to Airbnb, Verbo, and many other channels like Wimstay. And I have just loved using the software. I've pretty much can't go a day without going into it. My business partner, Adam, and I, when we are building out recreation rentals, we build it with our tech stack in mind. And Hostfully is a big part of that. And also Hudson Creative Studios, which has built our book direct website and our brand for recreation rentals. They're incredible. And not only that, their booking engine that connects to our website is built perfectly for Hostfully. And so we have this seamless guest experience on the website, online, and driving direct traffic, as you'll hear more in this episode. So give them a like and subscribe. Check out the offer in our show notes. And of course, back to the episode. Where do you think the initial sense of disbelief came from in the beginning? You talked about it like, I wasn't creative. I was never this. Where do you think that came from? It's a good question, man. You know, I, I, I wanted to get into business. I ended up, you know, looking at undergraduate schools that had business programs. And I think that, you know, it's funny because I was, I was an artist. I was a, a painter when I was young, kind of gave that up in my early teens, shifted more to, to sports. But yeah, you know, I don't know why that is. I really, I don't think I can tell you. I just, I had a limiting belief that I was more of a business-minded executor, X's and O's kind of guy. And that I didn't, you know, have the creativity of, you know, someone like my wife, who's like a lifelong painter, you know, she is a creative, she's an artist. I think that there's elements of, of myself that are visionary and I have creative. And the interesting thing about the word creative is it's about creating something. It doesn't have to be art or design and it can be all those things, but it can be creating a one of a kind experience. It can be creating a new type of hotel, right? In my case, a new type of, of hospitality kind of class and asset. So yeah, I think it was partially around maybe a limiting belief around what creative means. Yeah, so the, the definition of creative was the limiting belief because you had a limited definition, not a limited so. belief in yourself. 
I think so. And, and I also, um, I will say there was probably a piece around, I did have a limiting belief with myself around how creative I could be and sort of outside the box thinking. And that was part of why I, I leaned so heavily on architects and designers kind of early on with Onera. And today I'm much more interested and willing to sort of put ideas forward and let them kind of massage them into something great. Whereas I, I was like, oh, I need an amazing architect or designer to, to kind of show me an amazing, unique unit. When in reality, like I can dream this stuff up too. And I have, and you know, it, it's, it's really exciting to me to dream something up, really try to create something that's going to inspire and wow people and then see that come to life. Well, it's funny you use the word dream something up because onera in Greek means to dream, right? And that's it what does. I've heard you say. And, and yeah. so was that, was that intentional? It was. It, it, it was less around like me or, or the, the team dreaming up ideas to put out there. It was more around a concept of we wanted to give our guests the experience of, of stepping into a dream world, of stepping into something outside of their, their you know, regular everyday a fantasy world of sorts, if you will. And that's what we were aiming to do. Yeah, no, I, I love that. It kind of does come full circle for you though. And it's like, yeah, you're not trying to dream up these things, but you're mentioning, you know, the whole thing of like dreaming up the architect itself. So yeah, I think it's really fascinating. And you talk about this new style hotel, this new age, this new asset class. And I think as always, especially, you know, during COVID, we saw such a a bandwagon approach towards entrepreneurship in general. I think we called them COVIDpreneurs, right? Where it was like everybody and their mother got laid off, furloughed, or was whatever. And it was just like, all right, I'm going to start my own thing and we're going to rock and roll. And, you know, stimulus checks were flowing. So people are, you know, willing to spend a little bit of money and go, go a little risk adverse uh, or not adverse, but a little bit more risk on their kind of normal take in life. And obviously a lot of them don't make they don't make it through. And so when it comes to creating a new asset class, I'm curious to you on how your perspective and outlook is on the sense of bandwagon hitch, you know, hitchhikers basically, where they they'll hitch their wagon to yours, try to do the same thing. Cause I personally have seen, and we'll talk about this other topic here soon, but on Instagram, I've seen a lot of people, you know, promote and, and market their unique cabin in the woods, a mere cabin or a dome, whatever it might be, or a property that they've built. And you can kind of tell from first glance, there's some corners maybe cut. There's a couple pieces of the property they maybe don't want you to see. They really only show you the, the really good things, like maybe the hot tub or I don't know, just certain amenities. And you could, I don't know, there's just part of me that feels like there's a, a copycat model that a lot of people try to do. And maybe it's lack of, you know, understanding the definition of creativity for themselves. But do you see that? happening in the unique stay space like i see you kind of as one of the leaders there's a couple other people and we've had on the pod and we've heard on other shows but like really there's not very few that do it right and invest fully into the experience yeah we're look i think we're really trying to always push the envelope i mean i want my next property to be to be more inspiring than my last just personally personally that's kind of what gets me up in the morning that's what i'm passionate about and i do think that there's been a lot of folks that have kind of thrown up mid-tier products, right? I mean, the, the classic, like, throw up tents and rent them for 200 bucks a night or whatever, right? And I think that it's not only lack of creativity. I think, to be fair, it's also, like, a resources element to it, right? It's, it's much cheaper. Like, almost anybody can throw up a tent on a piece of property in, in rural land that's relatively cheap. And 
you know, I, I think that there's a lot of that product coming out on the market, specifically with, with tents, um, with domes, container homes. There's, there's certain types of product that are kind of flooding the market. And my belief has been in, and continues to be that the cream will rise. If you're truly differentiated, if you're truly investing in your product, um, and if I'm creating a product that's suspended 15, 20 feet in the air, cantilevered 10 feet with a, a cedar soaking tub hanging off the front with million dollar views, no, not just anybody can go and replicate that, right? So then it's, then it's the challenge of, can I sell the dream and the vision to the money, right? The banks to the, you know, because yeah, I mean, I have a lot of equity in these projects, right? But I don't have enough to self-fund everything yet. So, I mean, you have to get people to buy into the vision. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, thankfully, this space is a little bit of a darling right now, I think in this moment. So we're getting a lot of interest, but you still get the questions of like, how are you possibly going to achieve the ADRs of the four seasons? And it's like, when I'm looking in South Florida for my next project, we're doing this tropical landscape resort. And I, I'm getting these questions and it's, well, there's a dozen other hotels that are just like the Four Seasons in South Beach. And I'm creating an experience that you, you couldn't get in the States, let alone Florida, with this kind of Bali, Tulum, Costa Rica, Costa Rica style, tropical, you know, landscape hotel, treehouse hotel. Like you can't get that anywhere else. So there's a the supply and demand imbalance. So I think there is still an education and a little bit of faith from from the money side and those that have faith and are willing to take a little bit of a risk they're rewarded with outsized returns i mean that's what we've seen so far yeah and i want a perfect segue for for the next kind yeah. of topic and question i have for you because i think last week or well in the time of this recording last week i did a solo episode and i don't do solo episodes often but I was going through a lot of questions from listeners from all over the world, Dubai to New York, all the way to other other countries in, in Europe, especially. And one of the things I, I've, I've been getting asked, I've been hearing just from listeners and other entrepreneurs or hospitality professionals is, you know, what type of business models do we see as sustainable in hospitality from hotels and also short term rentals? And I think with a lot of the big VC backed venture capital backed you know, startups from urban operators to many others that have gone out of business in the last year or two, it definitely wavers, I think, the money side to be a little bit more cautious. And in fact, we've seen such a huge slowdown, even in just the tech side of the industry, at least in venture capital and private equity outside of a few small groups. So I'm a big believer in the PropCo Opco model. I think this is a unique model. I think it's a little bit more sustainable because Venture capital is pour money in and burn and grow at all costs. We don't care if you're profitable. We don't care if this, like just grow to scale and get to the next round and the next round and the next round and the next round. And the next thing you know, this founder is raising hundreds of millions of dollars and they're still not even profitable. So it's, it's kind of a whole crazy thing. Nothing against venture capital, but just in the sense of, I think the PropCo Opco model is very interesting. seems a lot more sustainable. Explain us how that works for you guys on Eric, because I know you're part of a REIT now. You got your first property acquired. So again, this is a new world that I'm in and I'm probably butchering it. So I want you to educate me. I want the listeners to know that I don't know everything and I want to hear it from masters like you who have actually done it because it's so unique. 
Sure. Happy to dive into this. We can do a whole podcast on capital, right? And, and capital stack. 100%. And I am by no means an expert. So, uh, you know, I've done it. I've been able to finance a, a few unique stays and, and some pretty, you know, exciting developments coming down the pipeline. But I didn't know anything about REITs three years ago, right? And we met, met one through a mutual, a mutual connection of, of me and my, my partner, John. And they were interested in alternative hospitality and they wanted to get into it. They looked at portfolios of, of short-term rentals. They saw our spa space and were actually interested in Onera before we even opened. I mean, they, they saw the vision. It was a, a, a small investment for a $4 billion REIT, right, to kind of get their feet wet. And we had already a second site earmark that was ready to go. And we owned the land next door of Onera Fredericksburg to do an expansion. So they knew there was more investment uh, potential for them. And, and it could be a bigger platform, you know, future Onera locations, et cetera. So yeah, look, I mean, in, a, in, in the challenging debt environment that we're in, it has been instrumental having a institutional, you know, publicly backed REIT, you know, Summit, Summit Hotel Properties. They've been a great partner and really allowed us to, to build Onera Wimberley, to build the expansion of Onera Fredericksburg, which combined is 50 keys across the Texas Hill Country, over 30 million in development. I mean, it's the kind of stuff that I'm trying to build, which I think people also are, aren't always clear about. Like what I'm trying to build is not cheap, right? I mean, it's on par with four and five star hotel cost per key, but our rates and yields are actually better than four and five star hotels in, in a lot of the locations that we're in. So the REIT was interested. The yield makes sense. We were able to get that deal done. It took a year. So this was no, you know, small feat. Prior to that, how, how we got going. So Onera Fredericksburg, initially, I just raised friends and family money. We, we had a successful short-term rental management company, you know, Airbnb management company. So I had some happy clients and they were the initial money into the equity. I mean, I was a first-time developer, you know, didn't even take a promote with them and, and no asset management fee. I just wanted to see it happen. And subsequently, we did raise a fund. And when that project was further along, we flipped it into the fund. And, and because we had raised a fund, it allowed us to put some equity and cash into Onera Wimberley, the second location. And we, I think, as you know, we bought a hotel in Palm Springs that we reimagined into this super cool, unique stay out there that's really targeted to group celebrations. One side's an 11 bedroom, the other side's a 12 bedroom. So we raised this fund, deployed it across those three assets, and you know it's done well. It's still early in the fund life cycle, but we're projecting to 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 very much you know beat our initial projected returns. So you know those are some wins that I can take with me and and sort of help finance future projects. And I think if you're trying to build something new and different, in a lot of cases, if you're a first time developer, you kind of got to rely on friends and family, at least in the beginning, and your network, right, and put yourself out there. And you know, now that I've built something, have something to show for, institutions will take me a little more seriously, right? And, and I can try to get some more institutional money, you know, public money, public company money comes with its own challenges, right? We have extensive reporting and accounting requirements, which have, have really forced me and the company to mature a lot, uh, which I yeah. think has been good. But I wouldn't be unhappy with having private, more flexible dollars. You talked about VC money. VC money scares me a little bit because I think, as you mentioned, you know, they're looking for the, the 10x plus return and super mm -hmm. fast growth, sometimes at the expense of 
hey, do these unit economics make sense? And I'm yeah. a I'm a unit economics guy at heart. So, you know, that that one's harder for me to make sense of in this STR, unique stays kind of hotel world. To me, I, I don't know that it makes sense as a VC-backed asset class. And, and I guess time will tell if it is or not. But yeah, the, the one piece I didn't talk a ton about is, is financing. And it's a special uh, senior debt financing, I should say, bank loans. It's a challenge, especially in today's day and age with where rates are. Hopefully, it's going to get a little bit better, less volatility in rates, more, more stability is going to make it easier to get loans. But I will tell you that January of last year, it was harder for me to get a loan after having exited Onera Fredericksburg than it was when I had never developed anything in 2020. So kind of crazy how the macro environment can, can, can drastically shift that. But with my first project, first time developer, you know, sort of unique, different vision. And I talked to like 20 community banks, got 19 no's. You know, one guy liked it and, you know, liked the market, the property, the idea, and, and he was willing to kind of go to bat for me. And, and we ended up, you know, closing financing for, for Onera Fredericksburg. Yeah, I remember hearing that story a little bit on your episode with Zach Boozy Cruz on Beyond the Stays. For all the listeners, links in the show notes. Check it out. Totally worth watching. But I, I kind of want to back up a little bit and go a little personal, personal route, if you don't mind. I, I'm very curious. You know, you're talking about a lot of big numbers in the sense of capital, $30 million, certain type of returns, certainly not like nightly rates and ADRs. I'm curious because as a lot of us in many cases, whether you're a founder or a high level executive or some kind of position in the, the industry or the world, I don't think a lot of us really came from money. And so when it comes to dealing with numbers like that, it's, it's to me, sometimes it can be like, holy crap. Like even when, you know, our podcast network and my own podcast took off, I was like, oh shoot, what am I doing with all this money? Like, I don't know how to, like, this is a new thing for me. So how do you approach money and capital with Onera based off of your personal experiences growing up, even into adulthood with your lifestyle businesses to, to today? Yeah. So I think over the years I've matured in the, in the sense of I'm not trying to cut corners and skimp anymore. And that's something that I try to do for a long time. And you alluded to it with a lot of the product out there, people skimp and, and a guest is going to know that right at some point or another, it's, it's going to reflect in your reviews. And to some extent, you can see it even in the photos, right? I mean, if you really do things the right way and have extraordinary attention to detail and, and put something out there that's like inspiring and truly novel and different and pushes the envelope, I think you'll be rewarded for it. But it's just, it's just not cheap to do that. And there's been certainly an education for me around how much this stuff costs. I mean, when we went in thinking what it was going to cost, even on near Fredericksburg, you know, we drastically under, under budgeted that project and had to raise bridge financing to get it done and, and all the rest. And, and it was stressful. And I've, I've now found myself a amazing professional uh, commercial GC who is on time on budget, you know, and he's, he's the biggest sandbagger I know, but that's, that's a, a sign of maturity and the whole, you know, old adage of under promise over deliver. Right. If you tell me it's going to be, you know, 10 million and we come in at nine, I'm stoked and, and we raised enough money from the bank and investors and all the rest. Whereas if you tell me it's going to be six and it costs eight, then we got a problem. So, you know, I've, there's been some learning there and he's really, you know, he, I, he helps protect me, 
protect me from me because um, I can be a bit of an optimist and, and he's really good on the budgeting side and, and we, you know, we come in on time and on budget. But yeah, in terms of like background, you know, we, we, I, I was raised, I would say, you know, middle, middle class upbringing. My dad, you know, did really well uh, when I was like a teenager. So our lifestyle significantly changed at that point. The company he was working for had an exit and basically consolidation in the industry. And our lifestyle changed. It certainly like piqued my interest around starting something, exiting something, more of that, you know, business in general and kind of entrepreneurial side of things. So yeah, I saw that and, and, and took something from it. But, you know, you're, you're not wrong. If you would have told me a few years ago that I'd be building, you know, $30 million resorts or $20 million resorts or whatever, I, I'm sure I'd be pretty shocked and, and might not think that's feasible. But, you know, we've, we've kind of proven that the, the high cost per key doesn't matter if the P&L makes sense. Right. If, if you're generating, you know, look for for the REIT that we that bought a majority interest in us summit. So they they put out a report that our stabilized EBITDA is in the 80 to thousand, 80,000 to 90,000 per key range annually. And their typical limited service hotel is like 14,000. So that's, you know, five, six X. OK, mm-hmm. our cost to build is two and a half, three and a half X. So there's still a significant delta there, but it might surprise yeah. someone that we're five, $600,000 a key, but the yield is, you know, well worth it, right? That there's still a, a considerable spread there. So I think that more investors are becoming hip to that and it's, you know, we're having easier conversations there, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a challenge. Sometimes people look at you side eye when you're spending Six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars a key for a unique stay—something they think of as like glamping, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, lack of education, but also overglorified in some areas where some people, like the bottom mid-level tier, come in and they boast about this unique stay that they're building, and it's kind of, eh, you know. So I think like a lot of that gets the the scene. I'm curious, and you know, this was a topic I was really excited to talk with you about, and we kind of already previously mentioned is that I I do believe this prop co op co re types type business structure is actually pretty, pretty damn impressive and attractive in the sense of sustainability, because I'm a big fan of businesses that are here for a long time, drive good profit, drive good return, and can actually build something outside of just going through like a, you know, a venture capital round, raising 10 million, getting to a hundred million, selling to a bigger company for a billion and then repeating the cycle over and over again and going through like churning and burning through people uh, and human capital, as I like to call it. So what do you see the future of this industry or maybe even this category being? Do you think there's going to be a bubble? Do you think that, you know, this is going to be a bandwagon that a lot of people are going to try to hop onto and ruin in the sense of like, shoot, there was a bunch of good players in this in this segment and now we are having a hard time getting capital or anything because of the bad apples that came in, just like in short-term rentals, you know, 20, 10 years ago. Uh, so very curious to see what your, your perspective is for the future. Yeah, I mean, my belief is I do think that entrepreneurs that have some touch with hospitality or development, real estate, construction, architecture, but aren't necessarily like from the hotel world, are the ones that are going to push innovation because the the sort of 
the industry, you know, knowledge and experience, if you will, in, in the hotel world can almost be a detriment, I think a little bit, because you think there's only one way of doing things. Like you think that there's that, that you have to have a lobby. Like, why do you have to have a lobby? Does anyone care? Right. Does anyone really care about your lobby as long as they have a smooth check-in experience and can get to their, you know, amazing one of a kind unit? Maybe you could spend that money on something else, a cooler pool, cooler units, you know, something invest that money elsewhere. So things like that, like, do you, do you really need to offer daily cleanings? I'd prefer if people didn't come in my room when I'm there. Right. And, and I think there's a lot of people in the next generation that, you know, value kind of privacy and in some cases seclusion, you know, most of the stuff that we're building is kind of romantic getaway focused. So our guests really want their own little private bubble and we're trying to, we're trying to give that to them. So I think coming at it from a different angle vantage point and not sort of uh, tied to the old hotel way of doing things, I think is, is very important. And you got this whole slew of, of host entrepreneurs, right? I think they call it like the, the Airbnb kind of hustler that that's how they got started. And these, pe these people are super resourceful. They can run lean operating models. They understand guest experience. Like they understand the whole aspect of it, pricing and revenue management to some extent. So I think that those folks are primed to help innovate hospitality and, and bring hospitality to putting products out there that the modern traveler wants. And I think there's a big gap between what the modern traveler wants and what's currently available. So I think there's so much room for, for so many winners in this space that are doing it right. So that, that's why someone like Isaac French at Live Oak Lake or, yeah. you know, Devin Laura at Pacific Bend or any of these other guys that are doing unique stays, even if they're in my market, I welcome it because I think there's so much room for, you know, the modern traveler to want to stay in these type of units that like, it, it just creates more awareness of the space that I think the benefit and the lift of more people knowing about it and maybe wanting to come to central Texas to stay in a really cool unit, the lift that we get there far outweighs the competitive issue. And then our buddy, you know, Michael Golden starting Nook, you know, yeah. I think that there's amazing cross-marketing opportunities with other unique stays because these guests are by nature trying to find something novel and different, and they may not want to stay at the same place, you know, a couple of times a year. So if we can sort of cross market to a similar type guest, I think that, that everyone wins the guest and, and, you know, all the operators that are playing in that, you know, in that soft brand or however they're connected. So yeah, I think there's a lot of room. I think that the the folks that are trying to hop on the bandwagon, throw stuff up cheap, you know, flash in the pan is likely to be their story. Some of them may kind of squeak by with a little exit, make a few bucks, but I don't see that as being a long-term sustainable model. And I think the winners will be the ones that invest in quality, invest in something truly unique, aren't just trying to copycat, right? I think those will be the winners. You said earlier, this is what wakes you up in the morning. You love building this. It gives you, it gives you a purpose in a lot of sense. What's the long-term play for you? And why do you think this is something that gets you so amped up and motivated? All right, Slick Talkers, last time I'm going to interrupt you. And back to Ben's episode where he's sharing more about the Unique Stays landscape and how they're building out this company. But minutes, there is no way I can go a minute without minute in my life as a busy operator and a busy guy behind the podcast microphones, we can't have 
a property be vacant or occupied without having minute there. They let us know when there's certain parties or specific noise events that are happening inside our homes while we're completely remote. So as Ben's talking about unique stays and being on location, you have on-site staff. But if you're like us at Recreation Rentals, then you're going to need some help. And Minute is our help. So we're going to get two months free if you check the links in the show notes. And of course, let them know if you have over 10 properties, call them, hit them up, let them know that Will Slicker sent you from Slick Talk or Hospitality FM, and they're going to hook you up with a sweet, sweet discount. So without further ado, back to Ben Wolf. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So there's something really special about imagining a little world, pocket paradise, right? One of these landscape resorts that, that I can imagine. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't exist today. That'd be amazing for the world if, if that did exist. Um, and, you know, seeing that, I don't know, seeing that come to fruition for me has just been, I, I didn't know that development and going from raw land to seeing something built and, you know, guests staying and enjoying and writing these, you know, book long, amazing reviews. I didn't know that that was going to be what would bring kind of, you know, passion and, and motivation to my life, but it, it really has. And, and I think that, you know, I think that creating, I'm, I'm seeing the, 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 the sort of evolution of, of the modern travelers I already mentioned. And I think that how underserved they are and how few options there are for them is something that I would like to see change. And if I can do something about that, I'm, I'm you know, sure as hell going to try. In terms of, you know, my future, future of, of my company and kind of the future of, of hospitality, I think that my company now has two core focuses. One is media and marketing, which I didn't know was going to be a core focus when I built Onera Fredericksburg, but it has become one. And the other is building these one-of-a-kind, you know, world-class, unique stays that just blow people away, right? Trying to bring something to market that, that doesn't currently exist and truly inspires our guests. So those are like the two things that I'm focused on. And I really only like got into the media business, I would say at all in 2023, around April, you know, the first time I got on Zach's podcast, I had been yeah. kind of watching Isaac and seeing what he was doing with Live Oak Lake and experiential hospitality. We had kind of stayed in touch and I kind of had this moment of like, oh, people like kind of care about the stuff that I'm doing. Maybe I should share it more. And there's just been so much value that I've gotten back from sharing, whether that's somebody saying like, you know, you're inspiring the rest of us and, and just sort of like teaching people, right? And helping them innovate this space. Or if it's like a lead investor that's coming to the table, like, I want to help you do this. There's something here. The returns make sense. And like, you know, I'm, I share some passion in, in what you're doing. So, you know, we're, we're, we're pushing on the media side. We're trying to get better every day at storytelling. You know, I think that that's, there, there's storytelling is the overlap between hospitality and media. I think one of the biggest overlaps, right? Like, yeah. you know, hotel people have been talking about this for a while. And I think the ability to, to tell a story and create moments for people and then share that, you know, on, on, in, the, in the media, whether it's social media or, or some other um, medium, I think is, is the way of the future, right? And I think that more people are going to find the next place they want to stay on places like Instagram, right? I mean, we're, we're bookings direct now all through organic social. 
and and I think that that's that's going to continue to kind of take market share from the other OTAs, like that people are going to find their next destination. So we want to be all in on um, being ahead of the curve and sort of riding that wave as it as it grows. As a guy that's been doing media since 2018 and riding this train all the way through, I totally agree with you. I think there's a, there's, I'm going to give a, a little bit of the farmer away here, but I listen to a lot of other podcasts that are, you know, I know I've been talking about venture capital and some of the stuff behind it, which I agree and disagree with on some of it, but I listen to a lot of VC shows, a lot of venture capitalists like This Week in Startups or 20VC and the way they built an intersection of VC and marketing and media uh, is is incredible. It's a, it's a unique business model, especially if you look at our business. And so I, I'm very much a, a believer in that. And I know we didn't get to touch too much into the book direct Instagram social media game that you guys have been able to build behind the scenes. Uh, I want to dive a little bit into it as we have a little, you know, a little time left on the recording, but you know, it's such a hard game to play because I think a lot of the times I came from the traditional hotel world. I came from a Marriott property to an independent boutique property that when I was the youngest manager on the coast, they're like, Oh, you can run our Instagram and our Facebook. And I was like, yeah, and I'm doing all your revenue management and housekeeping and front desk ops. Like, yeah, let me just add social media to my, to my list. And I remember it just being something as like mundane as a Instagram post picture of a room discount code, use code beach 25 for 25% off and whatever. And like, that was our marketing, right? And so, so many times marketing is used as a sales tool and very poorly sales tool. So. Do you have any tips, tricks, or steps for anyone listening right now that says, if I want to get better at media, especially with what you guys are doing and how you're able to direct traffic to direct bookings, what would you suggest? So I think building an effective social media strategy largely comes down to, to two key components. If you're in the stays world, hotel, you know, unique stays, Airbnbs, whatever. And that's going to come down to influencers to help build your audience. And you really need, you need targeted relevant influencers, right? Like I've been burned on someone with a million followers that got us zero booking, zero followers, and then been pleasantly surprised by someone who paid to stay, right? Had maybe 5,000 followers and, you know, we got followers from them. We got a bunch of engagement. I'm sure we got some bookings. It's hard to track that stuff, you know, specifically we're trying to get better at it, but definitely see more engagement and a lift from some of these micro-influencers than the, the big ones. And then there's some, you know, really great, decent size, couple hundred thousand, you know, half a million follower influencers that, that we've had that, that were, you know, on brand and had the right audience and had a super engaged following that, you know, I mean, we either paid them nothing and generated 10, $15,000 plus in direct bookings, or maybe we paid them 1500 bucks or 3,500 bucks or something like that. And, you know, the one we paid 3,500, we generated, we had a lift of $40,000 in the next like 10 days or so in direct bookings. So the returns are pretty astronomical. So that was kind of how we got started. And then from there, I shifted into, hey, can we produce this super high quality, potentially viral content ourselves? And that's, that's more what we've, we've been leaning into over the last, you know, little less than a year, eight months or so. And we ended up building the team in-house. We tried to work with some agencies, but yeah, we have videographers, you know, editors, creative. I mean, we have the full suite on uh, the production side now. 
and we're pumping out videos that are hitting a million views, you know, multiple hundred thousands of views. And our account has grown from like 18,000, I think it was in a April or May of 23 to, you know, we're closing in on 60,000 now. And it had taken us, you know, a year and a half to get to that 18,000. So the growth is really kind of, you know, becoming exponential and kind of going up and to the right. So targeted influencers, high quality content. And there's some, there's some, I think, good agencies and content groups out there. We also offer it for, for third parties if, if somebody wanted to, to work with our team. But I think it's insanely valuable. The way of the future, we try to achieve price parity on our direct booking website. So I know a lot of people try to do discounts to get people to book direct. For us, it's like that, that's an emotional buyer that's willing to potentially pay more then somebody finds us on Airbnb or booking.com or something like that. So we, we basically try to get similar prices and we scoop, you know, we scoop that 11 or 12% margin after the payment processing fee comes out. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, I'm a big fan of that model. Obviously, if you guys take on the creation of the content, we'll take on the podcast and we'll, we'll just have a nice handshake in the middle. That would be, that'd be phenomenal. <laughs> No, I, 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 I love that. And I think, you know, one of the things I talk about in the podcast world or the creative world, I go to a couple conferences a year and it's always about turning the creator, which is what we call, we don't call anyone in our podcast network podcasters. I call them creators. There's a reason we don't call them influencers either, but it's because we want to take the creator and turn them into a CEO where they are able to build out a media brand that has multiple products and services behind the scenes that generates more actual business than sponsorships or ad dollars, right? Like, yeah, ad dollars are great on YouTube or through a podcast sponsorship. Shout out to our, our sponsors on the pod. But at the end of the day, taking that creator and turning them into a CEO. So I love how for you, it's like you're a CEO turned creator. You kind of reversed it, but that's great because media is expensive to build, especially at quality, right? Like if you're going to be having a head of creative and editors and videographers and all that stuff, equipment ain't cheap. Editing software isn't cheap. Learning the actual platforms individually isn't cheap. It's time, which is what it costs you. So, uh, and they're always changing. So I think, you know, on top of providing a hospitality experience that you guys are at Onera and building out new properties and like, it's just, it's a whole nother business, right? So for anyone listening, it's not for the faint of heart. It takes time, it takes money and a lot of education. So yeah, I, I love that you guys are doing that. Yeah, I would love to I would love to wrap up this episode in the sense of if you had one thing, I've been asking this question a lot lately. So what's one thing that you've changed your mind on in the last 12 months? One thing. So I mean, I think one of the big things is what I just mentioned around we want to be a media first company. We we want to build things with Instagram in mind. Right. When I first built Onera, I wanted to build something amazing and cool and that will people be attracted to. And oh, side benefit, maybe it'll do well on IG and we'll be able to maybe get some booking directs, but either way, we'll we'll do well on Airbnb. And that's totally shifted to now I only want to do stuff that's gonna play super well on Instagram, trying to drive our our direct bookings, you know, as close to hundred percent as we can, right? So I think that's been a big shift and media is not just like a side thing that we outsource, but it's core to the business and it is, it's how we create inbound for everything, right? For, for investors, for guests, for, you know, property management clients, cause we, you know, we do that too. So creating this inbound attraction 
is is the result of of putting out really good media, which which I'm sure you're you're intimately aware of. So that that's been a big mindset mindset shift for me. Before April of this year, like I was heads down building Onera. I wasn't doing the whole founder led, you know, storytelling thing that we're super leaning into now. And, you know, I think that that the the founder led companies that have a compelling story are going to continue to be the ones that win. And I think that's what we're seeing already in the world, not just in hospitality, but more broadly in business. And, and I think it's going to be the same in hospitality. I love that. And the art of storytelling is really, really hard. So like people like Zach, people like you, people like others in our, in our industry do a really good job. And it's a hard skill to master. So I think, you know, it's a really unique, like a really great combination. So Ben, I just want to say thank you for being on the podcast. Really appreciate getting to meet you in person and to hear your story and a little bit more personal stuff on, on behind the scenes and the previous lives and all the stuff that we got to do. So great to have met you. Thank you for being on the podcast. And if you had one place to send any of our listeners, what place would that be? Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty active on both LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, LinkedIn, I would say, you know, even more people are probably on. So LinkedIn, you know, slash uh, ben dash wolf double F. Um, or if you just search Ben Wolf Onera, I'm sure it'll come up. But yeah, Twitter, I'm at Unique Stays Guy if that's your preferred platform. But those are the two places I'm most active. Try to throw out a ton of value and yeah, build build an engaged audience that is is just getting tons of learnings and value every day. I love it. The Slick Talk community is definitely a LinkedIn community. So I'll make sure everything's in the show notes. We'll have everything there. As always, for all of our listeners, give Ben, his team, Onera, all the brands, uh, a like and a subscribe, a love from the listeners of the podcast. And of course, like always, make sure you check the show notes, like and subscribe. And we'll see you guys all again next week. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast possible. We hope you enjoyed the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week.